welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Most of us have experienced a time when we said, I just don't think I can make it through. It's in those times God's spirit of grace rests upon us. Join us now as we begin our journey in Acts chapter 21 and 22 with Cheryl Broderson. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message, The Power of Grace. So this morning I want to talk to you about the grace of the Lord, because I think we all need it. And I don't know about you, sometimes I'll read missionary biographies and I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm like, oh God, this isn't what you mean for me, is it? Do you ever do that? Just like, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I could take this. This is a little heavy. When I read The Hiding Place, and there's Corey Tinboom, and she's in Ravensbrook, and she's got, she's thanking God for lice. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's a little intimidating. I don't know that I could do that. Or when I read Rosalind Goforth's book, and she was a missionary to China, and she lived during the Boxer Rebellion, being chased down by the people of, of um, China who were loyal to the empress of China and they were having rocks thrown at them and um, they were having bandits attacking them. And God gave them the grace to persevere. She had nine children while she lived in China and four of them went to heaven while she was living there. And you're just thinking, Lord, I don't think I can do that because I'm on the outside looking in at her life. There's a young girl named Hannah Overton and she's from Corpus Christi, Texas. And she took in a little foster boy who wanted to live with her family. And he didn't have any place to go. And she didn't know that he had a metabolic problem. And she was pregnant at the time, already had four children. And he climbed into her cupboard and ingested all her salt. And he died from that. And the police arrested her for it. She tried to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation in the car on the way to the hospital. So the marks like this for pinching his cheeks, they said that she had done this and poured salt down his um, throat. And it was just a hung jury, and it was terrible, and she went to prison. And she had her fifth child in prison. Now, I look at that, and I think, oh, Lord, what a miscarriage of justice. She leads a Bible study in prison. She has over uh, 40 to 80 inmates that come to the Bible study that she's been doing, and they do the Joyful Life Bible study in prison. And they sent me, they sent me 40 letters of how Joyful Life has changed their lives, how they've received Jesus Christ all because of Hannah. And Hannah said, well, I always felt called to be a missionary. I just never knew it was going to be in the Texas penal system. But she takes it and she's got this grace on her life to do exactly what she's doing. Her husband is raising those five children, said, I'm married to Hannah for life. And he goes um, 
at least twice a month and takes all the kids and they go up to visit her in the prison. The church went out there and they went outside the gates and they sang all the choruses to her and to the prisoners um, that were there. It's, it's grace. It's absolutely grace. And perhaps sometimes we look on at somebody else's life and we're like, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't think I can do that. And I'm really glad that they can. But Lord, I don't know that I can. And you probably can't because you don't have their grace. God gives each one of us a special dispensation of grace for exactly what our lives entail. And, you know, we don't have each other's grace because grace is individualized to each of us. I have a a friend who uh, lost her baby full term, nine months. And she had to deliver the baby. They gave her uh, Pertocin, and she had to deliver. It was a very, very hard labor. Her husband was going in, coaching her, and then somebody would show up from the church in Vista to comfort them. They would fall apart, start crying. The husband would have to comfort them and said, would you mind if I got back in the room and help my wife out? <laughs> like, no, no, go. It's, I'll be all right. She's in there. Later, she testified, my friend Jennifer, she said, Cheryl, Jesus was in the room with us. It was painful, but it was one of the most glorious experiences I have ever had in my life. And God's grace just covered us. She was overcome by grace. In 1 Peter 4.14, Peter said, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is what grace does. In these hard, trying places, that spirit of God, that spirit of grace rests upon us. And people say, how did you do that? I don't know how I did that. All I know is that ready supply of grace was there. When Corrie Tinboom was a little girl, she was complaining to her father that she didn't want to die. And they were about to get on the train, and her father turned to her and he said, Corrie, when do I give you the ticket for the train? And she said, why, Father, right before I have to give it to the conductor. And he said, that's right, and that's when God will give you the grace for the situation you're going to face for death right before you get on the train. Char years ago, who's now 30, but when he was young and went by Charlo, we were on an airplane and he, he started getting really agitated. He said, mom, I think this airplane's going to crash and we're going to burn to death and die. And he just was so scared. He was beside himself. And I said, Char, that's not going to happen. How do you know? And I said, Char, I know because you don't have the grace for it. And I said, if we were going to die, you'd have this peace and you'd have total grace. And he's like, okay, good. (laughs) Then he came back and he's like, mom, I'm a little worried. I said, why? Because I'm feeling kind of calm and peaceful. (laughs) And I said, no, Chart. If we were going to die, you would actually be like, hey, we're going to crash any moment. It's going to be so cool. He's like, okay, I don't have that. We're safe. And that's what I want to say to you. You know, perhaps you've been reading Acts 21, 22, and you're reading about Paul's ordeal. And you're like, oh no, am I supposed to be like that? Trials and tribulation await you. Oh, let's get going. Yeah, bring it on. And you're like, 
I'm not that great of a Christian. No, you're a great Christian. You just don't have that grace that God gave to Paul for this exact situation. God gave him the ticket. He had the ticket and he was anxious to get on the train. You see, God will prepare you with his grace. God will propel you forward by his grace. And in that grace, you will have the desire to proclaim that grace that God is giving you. It's almost you want to say, don't try this, what I'm doing without grace. Because without God's grace, it's impossible to do this. Maybe you have non-believing neighbors and they're like, I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you're bearing up with this. I have two different friends um, who uh, lived in Vista at the same time I did. And both of their husbands lost their jobs. And in both cases, their husbands were without work for two years. Totally sustained. The money, they never knew where the money was going to come in. Neither one of them lost their houses. Neither one. They held on to their houses for those two years that their husbands didn't work. And it was like amazing to watch God's provision. But the interesting thing is, both my friends, Linda and Raylene, both testified that their neighbors would be like, I don't know how you're doing this. Where is the money coming from? And Raylene was like, I never know, but it's always from God and it's always faithful. In fact, she, she did a workshop on a God that supplies. And she was able to say, now God gave her the grace to go through two years. She did say after a year, she said, okay, God, I think that's long enough. I think lesson learned. And he said, no, let's just do it a little bit longer. Two years. My other friend, Linda, same thing, two years. And after two years, God gave her husband the greatest job. Same thing with Raylene. These amazing jobs that they still have today. And that was over 18 years ago. Our God is able and he gives us the grace and the grace is a witness. And both Raylene and Linda wanted to proclaim the grace of God. The grace that sustained, the grace that brought them through, the grace that is available to anyone who wants it. That grace of God, God's grace, you will feel a peace, a peace. There's just this overwhelming peace when God's grace is upon you. You see, God's grace prepares us for God's will. God's grace propels us into God's will. God's grace is proclaimed through God's will. God's grace preserves us in God's will. God's grace gives us peace in his will. And God's grace perseveres to accomplish his will. You might not have the grace for Paul's experience. And you might not have God's grace for Corey Tinboom's experience or for Rosalind Goforth's, or for my friends. But you have more than sufficient grace for God's will for your life. More than sufficient grace. God's grace prepares. In Acts chapter 20, verse 23, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit was preparing him for what would happen in Jerusalem. That every place he went, 
the Holy Spirit testified that chains and tribulation awaited him. When Paul landed in Tyre, the believers there told him through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. That is how they applied the preparation of the Spirit. And so many of us would. You know, we're always trying to spare our friends from hardship, are we not? I know that I want to spare my children constantly. I don't want them to have to learn the same way I learned. If there's a, you know, plan A, the easy way to learn all that God has for you, give me that book. Because I kind of did the Z book. Like, let's go through everything, receive the chastening, and then learn. There was a song by DC DC Talk years ago, and it was, I'm the type that's got to learn the hard way. I've got to find out by myself. And I just like, no, I want to learn the easy way. You know, I, I like that scripture in Psalm 32 where God says, don't be like the mule that you have to put a bit in bridle because you go the wrong way, it hurts. So they learn obedience through pain. He said, I just want to guide you with my eye. I'm like, yes, that's the one I want. Guide me with your eye. No bit, no bridle. Guide me with your eye. But I, I've come, I've come that, to that place after in my younger years, having the bit and bridle. And sometimes I watch my children with the bit and bridle and I'm like, oh my goodness, aren't you trained yet? Can't we take that thing out? Like when you got your braces removed, aren't we ready? And sometimes in our well-meaning love, we will keep people from the very thing that God intends for them to learn the lessons they need to learn. I remember when my first daughter was working on her testimony and I didn't want her to have a testimony. I wanted her to say I was saved in Sunday school at four years old and I just held to it. And I remember a friend of mine said, she's working on her testimony. And I did not like that word. I did not want that. I didn't want her to have to go through these things. I wanted her just to live in the filet mignon of God's goodness. And yet, because of her testimony, she is so firm, she is so strong with Jesus that she will not be moved. She will not be moved. Not because mommy told her so, but because Jesus showed her so. So these well-meaning believers, as they're hearing about the chains, as the Spirit is speaking to them about what Paul will have to suffer in Jerusalem, what he will go through, they're saying, don't go, don't go. And isn't that how we are too? You know, don't go. If it means suffering, don't go. We live in the United States and suffering to us is a bad word. Suffering, it's bad. I I was listening to um, a debate between John Lennox and another woman. And this woman was an atheist because of suffering. Because she thought suffering was a bad word. Jill Briscoe tells a story of going to Cambodia and seeing the killing fields in Cambodia. And she looked at her guide and she said, are you uncomfortable with this? And her guide said, well, in that grave right there, in that pit, are the bones of my father, my brother, my mother, and my cousins. And she said, they clubbed me over the head too and threw me into that pit. 
And I waited till it was dark and they were gone and I crawled out of that pit and I made my way back to the village and my neighbors took me in and they raised me. Jill Briscoe said to her, how did that affect you when you heard the gospel, your experience? She said, oh, you Westerners. She said, here in the East, we have a saying that Westerners, when they feel any hardship or suffering, they're like, get this off my back. She said, but here in the East, we have a saying, strengthen my back to handle all the hardships that life brings. So she said, when I heard about a God who was willing to experience suffering, to come into my world of suffering and to experience the greatest sense of suffering, I said, that's the God I want to know. You see, we can be so much like Peter. Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer there. I'm going to be rejected by the elders. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be mocked and humiliated and condemned and crucified. Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. In fact, we're told that Peter began to rebuke him. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but of men. God values our suffering. He takes our suffering, this light affliction that we have on earth, and he creates out of it a beautiful weight of glory that we will receive in heaven. I think when we get to heaven and we see the beautiful weights of glory, we're going to be like, why didn't I suffer more? It'll seem like it's so in the past. It was so worth it. Paul comes to Caesarea to the house of Philip. This is the same Philip that you read about in Acts chapter 6, one of the seven that was chosen to wait tables. He's the Philip of Acts chapter 8 that led the revival in Samaria. And now we find that he lives in Caesarea and he's got four daughters who are virgins and they are gifted like their father. They prophesy. And Paul stays for a time in Caesarea at this house and a prophet, Agabus, who Paul knew from Antioch, comes to the house and he picks up Paul's belt and he begins to bind himself with his belt. And he says, so it will happen. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 11 of chapter 21. You see, God was preparing Paul for what was about to happen. He was preparing Paul. Amos 3.7, the prophet Amos says this, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. God prepares us. God prepared us for his Messiah. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of the Messiah. God prepares us. He prepares us by his grace. It might be our circumstances. It might be our background. It might be our culture. But he is faithful to prepare us for his calling on our lives. And Paul was prepared. He was prepared by the Spirit. He was prepared by previous experiences. He was even prepared for what was about to happen by his Roman citizenship since he was born in Tarsus. And grace will prepare you for the will of God. It might be your devotions, what you read that that morning or this morning in your scriptures, 
in the scriptures of the Lord. And as you go about your day, you're like, oh, this is what you were talking about. That's why that scripture meant so much to me today. You ever have that? Like a scripture will just grab you and you're like, I don't know why this is grabbing me, but I want to write it down. And then that day, it's the very thing that you need to hold on to. I love to write down scriptures that really grab me and put them in my pocket. And sometimes I think I have money. You know how it is? You reach in, you go, no, but it's a scripture and that's worth more. And you read that scripture and I can't tell you how many times that scripture has prepared me for exactly, exactly my day. And you know, I, I do it to give the scripture to somebody else. But sometimes I'm like, no, this is a keeper. <laughs> After what's happening today. Sometimes it's our hearts. We're feeling this inclination in our heart. Sometimes we're in denial. Our heart is trying to tell us something. We're, no, no, I, I, I'm refusing that one. But the Lord is trying to prepare us for something. He wants to flood us with his grace and prepare us. And we need to receive that message. Sometimes it's our friends. They're they're saying these things or they're going through things. And we're thinking, that's interesting. Something resonates with me. And then we go through that thing and you think, Lord, you were preparing me by your grace. I can call them because they've already been through this and they can share their grace with me. I'm prepared. Sometimes it's by prophecies. God is preparing us. There's a young woman who um, goes to this fellowship. Her name is Brittany. She's absolutely adorable. She comes up to me and she goes, okay, because she does that face. And she's like, I'm not sure if this is me. Those of you who know Brittany know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not sure if this is me or if this is God, but I love Ireland. And I feel like maybe I'm called to Ireland. Would, would that be God? And I said, it could very well be God. Let's just pray about it. She's like, but it's just like this thing in my heart. Every time I hear Ireland, I'm like, oh, is that how God works? Oh. And I said, it could be. Let's just pray. So I lay hands on her and I pray. And she likes all things Irish, anything Irish. She's totally attracted to it. So I pray for Brittany. I know she has this desire. So we have this afterglow at the fall retreat. And, you know, a couple people said things like they were supposed to, as the spirit put it on their heart. The next day, and this always happens, the next day, like five people come up to me going, I think I was supposed to share this last night but I got scared. And you're like, yes, you were supposed to, you know? But anyway, I do it nicer than that. You were. (sighs) And so this woman comes up to me and she says, Cheryl, I got this vision last night and I think I should have shared it. And it's so strong on my heart, but I saw like this street and she said, I've never been to Ireland, but it looked like an Irish street. And there was a rainbow across it. Like, go to Ireland because the promises of God are awaiting you there. And I said, you were so supposed to share that last night. I even know who that's for. I'm going to go quiet. You come up to the microphone right now. And I just want you to watch what happens when you share that. So she gets up and she shares the prophecy. And Brittany's in the back and she's like, ah! Just like that was so fun. This is why you need to share those visions at the afterglow when the Lord gives them to you because the reactions are so fun. Do it for the reaction. But it might be a prophecy that prepared you. Years ago, 
I was a wild 13-year-old. Not wild in immoral, wild as in hyperactive. I got kicked out of the junior high fellowship for crawling under the pews. And they made me go to my dad's Bible studies, which I actually fell in love with. From the time I was 12 on, I'm like, he's the best teacher ever. I mean, I just, I would take notes. I could be good during that. I only got one note one time. You know, could the girl in the red jacket please shut her mouth and listen to Chuck? I would be, I never quite walked through this church. I was usually running through this church. And there was always somebody who would, you know, rebuke me for running through the church. And so I got in trouble a lot for talking, for running, for climbing, for saying things out of turn. And there was this one old man named Roy Peebler. He would always find me and he would grab my cheeks and he would pinch them and he'd say, Cheryl, the Lord is giving you this church. God's grace is sufficient. He gives each one of us a special dispensation of grace for exactly what our circumstances entail. He prepares us and then covers us with His grace and the result is His overwhelming peace. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is The Power of Grace. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 21 and 22 with part two of her message, The Power of Grace. We do hope you make plans to join us. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.